with type one, the burnout is just like, I'm at capacity. I'm done. Like I can't, I can't do anymore. I want a break, but there is no break. I'm just here as this guide and this support system to be like, I got you. We're going to get through this together. Just like literally one step at a time. And Oh, hi, I'm Walt Drennan, and this is Ask Me About My Type 1, the Q&A podcast all about type 1 diabetes. Hello again, type 1s and nuns, and welcome back to Ask Me About My Type 1. I am so very excited to be back in the podcasting seat, and even more excited to share all the truly amazing conversations I've been having over these last few months. I have a lot in store for you on this, the fourth season of Ask Me About My Type 1, so I'm officially calling it Season four, the season of more, partly because I really like the rhyme, but mostly because of all the great type ones and nuns I was able to sit down with this time around. So to start off the season of more, this week, we're getting into the subject of coaching, both the type one and life kind, with my friends Whitney and Nicole. Our type one guest this week, Whitney, who some of you may already know as Happy Pancreas on the Instagram, was actually featured on an episode from back in season three, where she spoke about the huge role that community support played in her acceptance of and relationship with her type one. Now she comes back to us having started the In Bloom community, her very own type one coaching business where she helps women navigate their own type one journeys through intentional connection and ongoing support. And joining us in the type nun seat is Nicole Baker, a life and mindset coach who helps her clients achieve their larger than life goals by, as Nicole puts it, helping them realize that they are enough and the only thing holding them back are their own limiting beliefs. I was really interested in the idea of coaching because type 1 and life are hard. But for some of us, asking for help, particularly when we need it the most, can be so much harder than it should be. I include myself in that group. I mean, four-year-olds get coaches for t-ball, which is way easier than life or type 1. So here we are, to learn about the subtle art of asking for help and what can happen when you do. Now, here's the episode. All right. Hello, Nicole and Whitney. How are you guys doing today? Lovely. It's a beautiful day. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I don't know where you guys are in the world, but in Chicago, it's like a perfect sunny, like 72 degrees. And I'm like, gorgeous. Same, same. but in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> yeah, same. It's pretty warm. I'm in San Diego and the weather is, it's pretty hot. We're kind of like just now getting into... This is kind of like the time when our summer starts, so uh, it's it's finally a bit hot, which I I actually enjoy. So yeah, we've had torrential downpours for like the last three days, so today is a very nice surprise. Or at least I don't follow the weather channel, so it's a surprise to me. I'm, I'm sure people <laughs> knew about it coming. Um, but yeah, so thank you both for joining me today on this very special episode of Ask Me About My Type One. I brought you both together because. I'm really interested in the idea of life coaching and like the practice of it, especially since there's so many different kinds of lives that people can lead. And as a result, I think there's lots of different types of life coaches that can help them do that. And especially, I don't know if you've noticed this, Whitney, but like in the type one world, I feel like coaching is a big thing. And probably maybe due to COVID now that we all have a lot more time to like analyze our lives and like make realizations of like, oh, maybe my life isn't as great as I thought it was, or like we have a lot more time with our thoughts. I thought it'd be a great, you know, time to 
like, you know, discuss the practice of life coaching and see how it differs from both the type one perspective, but also just, you know, the regular life perspective and how they can meet and how, you know, people of type one can branch out into other types of life coaching and how people without it can learn from the life coaching that type ones can get specifically. So without further ado, let's get into introductions. So the way introductions work on the show is type ones go first because that's how numbers work. And Whitney was on the show last last season, but that was before you got into your coaching, I think, full force. So why don't you, again, Whitney, tell us who you are, what you're doing, where you're at, when you were diagnosed, a little bit about your diagnosis story, but also your life coaching story. So like, where did that come from and where is it now? Totally. Yes. So my name is Whitney, also known as Happy Pancreas on Instagram. That's where I spend a lot of my my time at. Um, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 26, so six years ago. My diagnosis story, I feel like, isn't too out of the ordinary compared to a lot of other type 1s that I've connected with. I was initially diagnosed with type 2, especially given like my later diagnosis, you know. Initially, I just think, you know, how nurses and how the healthcare system in general is like, you know, has kind of boxed type 1 diabetes as like a juvenile. You normally get it when you're a little wee child and and somebody that has the symptoms that parallel, you know, type 1 diabetes, it's either kind of like skipped over, like that couldn't be it. And that was kind of my case. I was in and out of medical care for a couple of months leading up to my diagnosis. I was being treated for bronchitis. I was being treated by my OBGYN. I had a UTI. I had a yeast infection. I had all of these things that were like symptoms of the underlying illness that people or, you know, the, the healthcare and the people that were overseeing me just still weren't testing my labs like for blood sugars. So I was finally, my OBGYN is the one who called in like a full panel just to kind of get a sense of like why my body was just like under this this stress and I couldn't like beat a lot of these things that were like showing up for me health wise. And that's when I woke up to like, I got my labs done. And then the next morning I woke up to several missed calls from multiple doctors in the middle of the night telling me to go to the emergency room. And I didn't know why. I'm like, I've been sick, but not like emergency room sick. And I just remember thinking like, okay. So I called Derek. He was like on a, like a really intense like work thing for the Navy. So I couldn't, I knew I couldn't like wait for him to get home. I just like called him. I'm like, Hey, I have to go to the emergency room to see what's going on. So I'm just going to drive myself and, and see what's happening because the doctors told me I need to go. I don't remember connecting. I think it was connecting like a blood sugar thing on from those calls. I just remember just being like in the state of shock that I need to go to the emergency room and why don't I feel that sick, you know? And then got admitted, you know, my blood sugars, I think were like five something. The nurses were asking me like, why haven't I been checking my blood sugars? And like, why are your, you know, you haven't been like, I guess, treating me as if I had already been a type one, essentially, but I had never, I, again, I was well into my 20s. So I didn't even really know that that was like a thing. You know, I was one of those that I was a type none that knew nothing about the world of type one diabetes. And like, why would I need to check my blood sugars? Why would I need to give myself insulin? 
So I was kind of like frustrated just with all of that because I felt like they were treating me just like, why haven't you been doing these things? And I'm like, I never knew like, this is, this is brand new for me. Like it, it isn't something that I've had. Fast forward, got admitted to the ICU, you know, got some insulin in me. The doctor that was overseeing me there diagnosed me with type two diabetes, sent me home with a happy little type two diabetic pamphlet of like, here's what you need to know about type two diabetes. Your metformin will be picked up at the pharmacy. And thankfully, I had a family doctor um, and my mom who just really didn't feel like this didn't seem right type of thing. And then that's when I saw my endocrinologist early the next morning. And that's when she diagnosed me with like, um, no, they missed that you have these antibodies and that this isn't type 2 diabetes. This is very different. And this is not something that you will be able to get rid of. And lots of a few hospitalizations in that very early season because my blood sugars were having a hard time um, regulating, you know, but all in all just was given that diagnosis and I was really sad and, and had a season of denial and, but also problem solving. And that kind of just has carried into like my coaching journey now of just really like problem solving the heck out of this disease that is the ultimate, I don't know, project of trying to figure out like the whys and the what's and all of these variables that go into affecting our blood sugars. It's not just carbohydrates, you know, and that's, and that's kind of like my, um, I guess like the mission in the heart of me helping women is just like, there's limited support from our endocrinologists, you know, there's limited support and education from diabetes educators and just kind of taking this like comprehensive, like, multi-layered approach to not just like supporting women's blood sugars and, and getting those under control, really taking a step back and like, how can we really support your immune system? How can we support your mind? How can we make this life be worthy of, of living, not in this space of like, uh, like I can barely even get through my days, but like really coming alongside of women and helping them and like helping them feel empowered eat the things that serve them, right? Um, find a rhythm that serves their routine and, and it's not a cookie cutter thing. So that's my <laughs> long, hairy-ish, short-ish. <laughs> Thank you. And sorry, Nicole, I kind of set you up there. So in the show, our type nuns are encouraged to ask questions. And the way we do that is you call a type one timeout. So if we ever, either Whitney or I, say anything that just doesn't make any sense to you, you can assume that it has something to do with type 1. Call a type 1 timeout. We'll stop the conversation dead in its tracks, and then you can ask whatever you are wondering about. Because it's part part of, I think, their you know, problems with the community is that we have a hard time kind of opening up to people that just don't get what we have to go through every day. Like we have a lot of, there's a lot of terminology that we use that is very specific to us. And, mm -hmm. you know, we throw it around like, you know, because we understand it, we know it, we don't have to explain it to each other. But for people like you, that's not the case. And it can be very disengaging. So like it makes you not want to be participate because you just don't know what people are talking about. So we're going to avoid that because this is an hour long podcast and we need you to talk. So Amazing. yeah, so, I do have a I do have a quick timeout. Please, yes, um, Whitney, you said a word. You said you were going to pick up. It was right after you got diagnosed with type two. Before your mom was saying uh, the metformin. What is that? So metformin is a drug used for those. Well, I mean, we can get in the weeds with that one because there are some type ones that actually do use metformin, but for the most part, 
that drug is used for those specifically with type 2 diabetes. So with type 1, we're insulin dependent, meaning yeah. if I were to, let's say worst case scenario, and this has happened, I've had a lot of stories of people reaching out saying like, I was just diagnosed with type 2, found this community, I'm on metformin, my blood sugars aren't doing that well, but the doctors don't really want to put me on insulin. I'm like, it's so hard because it's just like treating a type 1 diabetic with metformin would lead to worst case scenario is death because yeah. the blood sugars can't be under control by, by that, uh, by that medicine. We need uh, insulin. So like prescribing a metformin at, to control and manage blood sugars is the sole, I guess, drug per se would lead to elevated blood sugars. It's, mm-hmm. it's not adequate because our pancreas is aren't stressed. So a type two diabetic would be like very like hyper stressed pancreas. They're still producing insulin, but lesser amounts. And they can depend on metformin to kind of support the the stress of what's going on with the pancreas. For us with type one diabetes, we need insulin because mm-hmm. our pancreas literally produces nothing at all. Yeah. So that's that's the difference oh, there. Thank you. I, yeah. I learned I learned new today. This is good. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So Nicole, now tell us your story, what you're doing, where you're at, and also about your life coaching story. So where that came from and like where you are now with that. Totally. So my name is Nicole Baker. I am a life and mindset coach. I have a podcast called the Life Coach Baker Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at Life Coach Baker. But I work mainly with people who would qualify as achievers, both aspiring and overachievers. I work with them on goal setting, habit building, and habit decreasing, and also just the I'm not enough mindset. Because I think that is something is very universal, but especially in overachievers, it ha- it, it's in every single thing people do. So how I, how I got into coaching, I actually grew up in the personal development world, we'll say that. My, both my parents worked for Tony Robbins for 30 plus years. And so I grew up listening to his tapes, attending his seminars, like as a two-year-old. So it wasn't like really sinking in, but the language was there. And so going through life, I was always really curious and I liked to learn more. And I found myself in musical theater, always knowing that like, eventually I'm going to go into life coaching. When I'm 35 and I'm on Broadway, then I'll go into life coaching (laughs) because I was 15 and planned my life like that. But as I got more and more into the theater community in Chicago here, I just realized like something wasn't right. And it wasn't like, oh, it's hard. It was more just like, I don't feel aligned. Like I don't feel fulfilled. I don't feel like I'm living my purpose. And I attended a seminar and we went through this visualization exercise where they asked like, what does your career look like a few years from now? What does it look like 10 years from now, 20 years from now? And really living into it. And pretty much in that exercise, that entire musical theater life was like wiped away completely. Like it was just whoosh. And instead was, it was almost like a download from universe, God, creation, whatever you um, believe here. But it was almost like a download of like doing a podcast, coaching one-on-one, hosting seminars and all that stuff. And to be honest, I haven't looked back, which is so amazing. And it's been the most wild few years (laughs) since making that huge transition, but it's been beyond worth it, I think, is the, the only way to say it. But yeah, that's where that's how I got into this very niche business, I would say. 
Yeah, that is a great story. Now, given that this episode's about life coaching, where does your specific approach to that go? So like I, I you know, did some research on your Instagram page and it's like for uh, do you cater to performers specifically or like what, I guess maybe what your philosophy is with life coaching, mm-hmm. like what you t- teach people and what kind of people come to you? So I used to work specifically with performers when I first started coaching, but then I realized as much as I adored them, it was really the achiever lifestyle that I meshed well with. And a lot of my following and a lot of my community is still in the performer world, but I've definitely also now met people who are changing careers, who are starting side hustles, who are moving across the country and like don't know where to start. But I'd say my approach to coaching, (laughs) I'm going to straighten up in my chair. So I'd say my approach to coaching is like this. A lot of people come to me expecting strategy. I want to know what to do when I feel like this. I want to know when I feel like this, uh, what's the reason behind it, so on and so forth. And strategy is great. Don't get me wrong. And I can give strategy into the wazoo, but there's two parts that come before that. Because if your state, like your emotional state is, is it shitty? (laughs) Then if your story, like the story, the belief systems that you're telling yourself are equally shitty, I don't care how good, how amazing your strategy is, it's going to suck. So you have to work on your state, that emotional state of being first. Then you have to work on that story, the beliefs that you're telling yourself in your head. Then if you take that same strategy you were taking earlier, you're going to get hella different results. So I work with people mainly on, first of all, them coming to me and saying, you know, what if we try this mindset? And what if we do this? And what if we do this instead? And they notice a massive change in their results just based on those first two elements alone. Just hearing the, your approach, it sounds a lot like how type one is managed, uh, which is funny to me at least. <laughs> what a good we, metaphor for life. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I love that. That's actually like the like my big kick I've been on for the past few years is like type one or living with type one or managing type one is very much like life in itself. We mm-hmm. just kind of live it in very uh, like concentrated doses every day. But Whitney, you know, you being a type one life coach, where do you hear that in Nicole like I did or like where it sounds like I feel like you would give that kind of advice to a lot of people with type one? A hundred percent. I mean, and you summarize it very well, Walt, just with like the microcosms of life within like you experience like the highest highs mentally and physically and the lowest lows mentally and physically and like the smallest amount of windows that you could ever think of, you know? And in that it's, it can be defeating. And um, Nicole, I love what you said. And it's something that I use often, even for myself. I'm married of 11 years and I, oh my gosh, my husband, I'm like, the story that I'm telling myself. Yes, Renee Brown. (laughs) It's such a good tool and it's really helped really pivot that because I could go on and on and on about like how I, how I feel or I'm just so done with this and like whatever, you know? And then like, I'm like, well, the story I'm telling myself is that I was, I felt forgotten today, you know? And then it opens up this new like mindset shift for myself. And then like Derek and I to like safely enter into and see like, oh, well, like that wasn't my like that wasn't my intent at all. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it does really carry over into our type one diabetes and how we manage that because same women will come in and, and, and reach out and say like, my blood sugars are just so like out of control. And, and yes, that could be a, 
a fact, you know, if the variability is, is that high. But to be honest, a lot of the women that reach out to me, their control is amazing. It's their mindset around what they feel the blood sugar is kind of like an identifier of how well they're doing, how well if they're good or a bad diabetic. And like, well, I'm sure you see this too, where it's just like, we all share our blood sugar numbers online. And it's like, it could just trigger this, like this downward spiral. And, and I'm, I'm definitely not one that, you know, escapes that where it's just like, oh dang, like her blood sugar is hundred right now. Like mine's 250. Like, what am I doing with myself? You know? And oh just learning the power of just like, again, that whole, like, what am I telling myself? Is it really based on reality mm-hmm. and really shifting um, just the perspective around like um, and kind of, again, to piggyback off what Walt, Walt said about the just like these micro experiences of just like lows and, and highs and like semi what feels like failures when we're looking at numbers all of the time. That's just like and to give you some context, Nicole, like yeah. a type one diabetics will like your blood sugars as a, you know, fully functioning like pancreas should generally sit around like. 75 to 120, right? Okay. Sure, you have a little bit of variability. If you just ate like five pieces of cheesecake, you could like bump up to like one yes. <laughs> to like 150 max, probably. Your pink, it would cause stress, but it would, it would trigger your pancreas to, to release a shit ton of insulin and you'd be good, right? Outside mm-hmm. of maybe some food hangover, but your blood sugar would be good yeah. for us. It's like that and would, because we're having to manually calculate every aspect of that cheesecake, the fat, the protein, our movement for the day, our movement later in the day, what our dose was earlier in the day, what our dose is going to look like later in the day. There's all of these things that we're trying to like internally navigate. And then if we get it wrong, then it's like, oh, dang, like I tried so hard and I thought I did really good, but my blood sugar number is telling me that I did bad, right? Um, It is a lot of this like, um, yeah, just like self, self talk is huge. And again, Mm -hmm. just, I I guess to summarize it up, like it it is a lot of realigning our thoughts and just like belief systems around Mm -hmm. like, it's a number, it's important, and it gives us information, but the more we hyper-focus on that being, like, a factor in, like, who we are as a person, who we are as a diabetic, who we are as a friend, it, it really can easily bring us down into a dark hole. So making sure I'm kind of nurturing the women that I work with and just, like, having them practice, like, if you were to talk to, like, a little cat you know, like, how would you talk to the cat? Like, you'd say like, come here, little girl, or like, you know, your best friend or like a little like toddler, right? We're so hard on ourselves. We're just like, you're doing bad. Like, you're bad. This is bad. It's just like awakening that like, inner, like nurturing voice of just like, just like, it's okay, right? It's just like, Mm -hmm. be gentle on yourself. We already have so much that we're tackling on the day to day. So being gentle is, is huge. I actually do have a question to back up that all because I know how much like food and nutrition have crazy amounts to do with your uh, with your blood sugar levels. But I'm assuming like stress and other really high intensity states do that does that affect it as well? Well, it's like yeah, <laughs> everything. It's I mean you know short answer is like everything can affect your your right. blood glucose. Uh, it's not just food. So like stressful times can cause your. It depends on the person too. So like. If I get stressed out, my sugar could go low or it could go high. Some food, and it's not like 
uh, if I were to eat a cookie, it w- may not affect me the exact same way that it does Whitney. So there's no there's no kind of like one equation or one shot solution that fits for every single person. It's a very bio individual condition. We use different amounts of insulin. We use different kinds of insulin. There's a, so much nuance and variability just within like the community itself, like between me and Whitney, even though we have basically the same thing. And the fact that she's a woman, you know, there's hormones there too. Um, insulin itself is a hormone. So it's affected by all the other hormones that you got swimming around in your body. So yeah, so there's a lot of variability. And like, kind of like how Whitney was saying, there's a lot of numbers associated with it. So there's, it's very easy to get into a headspace where you're doing wrong or where you can talk to yourself into believing that you're not doing what you should be doing or as well as you should be doing, especially when you're speaking to doctors that don't necessarily understand that. They understand the numbers and they understand if you do this X, Y, Z, you'll get this result, or at least hopefully. Um, For them, it's more of an equation, whereas for us, it's like a practice. It's an art form. Like figuring out how to navigate cheesecake is like it's some people take great pride in being able to figure that out. But just because you figured it out today doesn't necessarily guarantee you'll figure it out tomorrow kind of thing. The variability within it over the course of a lifetime is very drastic. Like I'm doing things now that I never even thought of when I was first diagnosed 20 years ago. So yeah, lots of change. There's an evolution to it. It's like, it's just, and we're constantly kind of on our feet trying to figure it out. Wow. Yeah, you need to be very, and that's another like, I guess, thing and like discipline is just like to learn like the women that I work with. I do like, an, I do Enneagram. I don't know, are you familiar with the Enneagram, Nicole? Yes. Fan, love yes. it. <laughs> that was a chef kiss for people that can't see it's like a profiling for those listening that don't know what Enneagram it is. It's it's a beautiful profiling tool around personality types. It's not necessarily, we all have a little bit of each of the personality types. We all just lean toward heavily towards one. And, and it's, I hate when, I hate when people feel like we're being put in a box. I like, like using it as like, how can we like unlearn some of these things? Like we're, we put ourselves in a box around, right? Totally. So like for like Enneagram one, which is like the reformer slash perfectionist type one diabetes is like for the perfectionist and like looking at those numbers, it's just, what do they need to like practice flexibility, maybe like spending more time in like this creative mindset, just to release hold on this idea that somehow we're going to know the a hundred percent exact reason why you have a high or a low blood sugar, you know, we can dig into it. And like you said, we can dig into strategy. We can dig into a lot of the variables that could have gone into that. But like Walt said, it's just like, it's this like multi-layered, every ever evolving thing. And, and our bodies are changing and whatnot. It, mm-hmm. It's, it's impossible to carry it over as like as a cookie cutter to anybody and even adding like a cookie cutter approach to ourselves, even though we know ourselves so well. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, in that case, I actually have a second question. Uh, in addition to all this, is it okay if I just take over and ask all my yes, questions? Yes, please. That's, that's, <laughs> Amazing. What, that's what the show's about. Beautiful. Yeah. I just wanted to check. So I had a I, small backstory. I had a dear friend in college who has type one and she was at first – the first few years that I was with her was doing like she was pricking and then she was doing injections. Is that the right term for she's like injecting insulin, which I'm sure as you guys know, can sometimes go really well. Sometimes it can be really off and so on and so forth. And then finally she got the pump that was able to like micro doses and, and, and stuff like that. I, well, first question is if I'm allowed to ask, do you, you guys have a system? Like, do you have the pump or do you do like the injections? Also, am I allowed to ask that? That's really personal. So I understand that's not a question. I love, I love that you 
think it's personal. I don't know. I guess within our community, it's a very common question because like, you know, everybody does it a little differently. The way we ask it is like, how do you manage it? But yeah, not that you would need it. The way you asked it is perfectly fine. It's not offensive or anything. It's just, yeah, it's a very common question that we get asked all the time. But Whitney, you take it and then I'll tell you mine because we're, we actually do it very differently. Yeah, I'll actually show you. So like this little Patagonia, here she is. This is my pancreas, Patagonia pancreas. All of my insulin stays inside of it. And I do, to answer your question, I do MDI, which is a term, which is multiple daily injection. So that means I'm manually giving myself insulin multiple times a day. So I calculate, you know, like Walt said, hormones, what I'm doing, my workouts, how much I'm eating, all that. And then I'm giving myself the using a syringe Mm -hmm. and not many people actually use syringes. I like using them personally, but again, this goes back to just like how everybody's so different and what they love and what's working for them in the season that they're in. Humalog, which is my insulin and then uh, my syringe. And then for checking my um, blood sugar right now because of insurance, which we could have a whole nother podcast on. I am. Not, I don't have a CGM, which is a constant glucose monitor, which typically would go to my phone. But I just prick my finger, okay. and um, it goes on this little reader guy, and like it yeah. tells me what it is. Yeah. Okay. So you maybe have like, seen one of those before. I've seen a similar one, and she she did yeah. something really similar to that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. kind of like old school ish. You know, there's a lot of new technology, and and I'm not. I'm definitely not close-minded to to any of it. A lot of my clients are actually on pumps, and I think we'll go into Walt. I think Walt manages via pump therapy, so. Yeah, so like Whitney said, I I also have a fanny pack. Mine is over here. It's covered in unicorns. Because unicorns are actually very significant within the type 1 community. Um, It's It represents... (laughs) Like, oh. I'm like, this is okay. I, I, I have a question of why they're significant, but I want you to answer first. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's supposed to represent the 100 level blood glucose. So, basically, the idea was I didn't know this, I've loved unicorns for forever, but apparently, a unicorn supposedly looks like a 100. If you like the big circles are the body, and then the one is the horn, it's a unicorn. So, when you catch a unicorn, that means you caught a 100 level blood sugar. Did you know that, Whitney? Okay. Wait, so the unicorn looks like a 100 number? Or a 100 kind of looks like a unicorn. It's very, you have to squint your eyes very hard and tilt your head. But yeah, it's definitely there. That's so funny. I love, well, I just learned something new because I always just, I connected happy blood sugar is a unicorn. Unicorns are happy. Therefore, anything that is like a happy blood sugar equals a unicorn. <laughs> no, it's yeah. So it's supposed to be specifically 100. I like your definition a little bit better because it's less kind of judgmental. Like, you know, yeah, 100, exactly. 100, 100 isn't, yeah, 100 isn't as likely as any other number. It's just kind of like, it's rare to catch it at the exact moment when your blood sugar is out of 100. That's another thing. Like it, unicorns are supposedly hard to catch and like very elusive and one like any really any number any specific number of blood sugar is really elusive and hard to get like you can't you know uh plan it out that way but that's where the unicorns come from but so in terms of my management style um i use a pump like whitney said mine actually is the only wireless pump that they have it's on my arm over here so it's this little looks kind of like a ketchup like a (laughs) like a syrup packet kind of thing it's stuck on my arm and I fill that up with insulin every three days. It has enough to hold me off for three days. It sticks on. 
and it injects a cannula. It's called. It's basically like a syringe, but it stays inside me. So I can avoid having to inject every time I eat. I just, for, so for this, I just use this little remote control. Um, I tell them how much to dose and then it, you know, does it for me. And I switch it out every time, either every three days when the battery dies in it, or it just runs out of insulin. And I just kind of do that every, you know, however long that takes. I had a CGM. It's, I, I, I do use it now. It actually isn't working at the moment because of course, but it basically, it's just, it's similar to this, but it's smaller and it connects to your phone and it kind of puts your sugars on a graph. Um, so literally it's very, there's a lot of it's very easy to judge yourself on your on like on your diabetes numbers because they they present themselves so well to be judged. Like the graph is like a straight line. The straight lines are good, you know. Rocky lines are like bad in quotes. So there's a lot of very easily translatable things that can you can use your, to judge yourself on. But yeah, so that's how I manage. I also do finger pricks every now and again, especially when the CGM doesn't work. That's what this thing does as well. It's one of the, but there are also pumps that have tubes. Um, they kind of look like pagers. I'm, I'm not sure what your friend had back then. That one, yeah. But yeah, so, and actually for the most part, pumps are actually kind of rare. Going on Instagram, you probably wouldn't assume that because almost everybody on Instagram shows off their pumps and stuff like that. But it's actually more people I think are on injections using pens. So basically it's kind of like what Whitney does, but instead of a vial, it's just a pen. Kind of looks like a, a whiteout cap. I think Whitney was on those before. Yeah, I can show you them. One second. Yeah, and so it's just kind of like an easier, a different way so that you don't have to have a vial and a syringe. It's just the one thing, and then it comes with, like, needle caps. Oh, okay. This is what it looks like. So this is my, like, long-acting insulin. So this is what I do. This is, like, long-acting, meaning it's kind of like the background insulin um, that Mm. is is supposed to keep your blood sugar stable if you weren't to eat anything at all or eat anything at all. So you have your my PM insulin and then my multiple daily injections, which cover like my meals, my workouts, my stress, all of the other things. Yeah. So (laughs) at least every time you eat, you have to inject uh, depending on what it is. And then there's also, so my pump does the, like the background insulin, like she says, because even Mm -hmm. your body, Nicole, your, your body's constantly making, you know, like little squirts of insulin every like hour or so. And that just keeps you at a base level Mm -hmm. of, you know, you know, biological function. Uh, my pump does that for me. It has like the, it shoots out every now and every hour or so. And then in addition to what I eat when I, you know, tell it to dose a specific amount. Gotcha. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so those are, those are basically the types of ways that you can manage your type one. So like basically we don't make our own insulin, so we have to buy it and also figure out a way to get it into ourselves. Wow. I'm learning so much guys. This is great. Thank you. <laughs> it's a lot. It is a lot. And it it also, it can be over, especially because like, you know, Whitney and I've been doing it for, you know, at least Whitney seven years. I've been doing it for 20 years. Like I've learned all this over the course of 20 years. It's not like you sitting here right now learned it in the last like 10 minutes. So, yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness. We're learning. This is good. I'm I'm learning the wealth of your knowledge. This is, I'll take it. (laughs) And and, uh, Whitney, you didn't like say the word, but I feel like you were kind of like circling around it. So burnout, burnout is a huge thing within the type one community. And it's actually a word that I never really associated outside of it. So like the first time I heard it, not in a type one context was actually on self-helpless, the podcast that Nicole and I listen to. Love it. That's how we know each other. So yeah, so type one burnout is a very common thing. It's something that we talk about all the time. There's 
endless number of articles on it. People talk about it in very different ways. It affects everybody differently. But Nicole, I listened to a couple of your recent podcast episodes and you guys use the word burnout so much. Like I, again, Mm -hmm. was so shocked in hearing it outside of a type one context. So could you both kind of go over what burnout means to you and your specific coaching style and like what, what it means to your clients and the people that you help out? Nicole, you can start. I would say burnout. I I like to think of burnout like this. Burnout is whenever you are doing a massive amount of things that are not aligning with your values. So for instance, I had someone just the other day on my Instagram feeling like they were high, high, high burnout. And I asked them in private DM, I was like, what are you doing? What are your top five values? Where's the mismatch? And they were like, holy shit. Like like everything was out of line or everything was like mis- um, prioritize stuff like that. So I like to think of burnout when you are, let's use it in a like not technical example. Let's say you had a full week. Maybe you were spending so much time on work. Maybe it was a project you didn't super feel passionate about. And your partner is in the other room, maybe doing their own thing or whatever. But maybe one of your high values is love and connection. And having that mismatch can create a high level of stress and burnout. So that's how I view burnout. And the cure to burnout in my way is just like realign your to-do list with your values. If your value is love and connection, find some time to put work down and go spend quality time with your partner, so on and so forth. Now, Whitney, so you're going to give the type one burnout side of it. And I'm curious to see like your your thought on the word because you didn't really say it, but it kind of sounded like you were going to getting to that point. But I don't know. How do you discuss burnout within your groups? Totally. Well, and it's actually really cool. This is a really good question because like listening to Nicole share about it versus since burnout, like you said, Walt is so, I guess, kind of like norm and it generally arises, you know, sometimes it's a week spurt, sometimes it's a day spurt, sometimes it's a month spurt, whatever it looks like, it will come when you're managing a chronic illness, especially like type one diabetes when you don't have a day off. So the best word to explain it and, you know, just based off just like my own personal experience, I guess we could start with. And that's just like, I'm at capacity, meaning like if I look at one more blood sugar number, if I have to prick myself one more time, like I, I say this, I'm not like that angry of a person, but I say it, I'm going to punch a wall. Like that's when I feel like I'm so like, it's not the best word, but I do kind of use it a lot is like overstimulated. My brain is just like, I'm tired from work. I'm tired from, you know, just like general self-care, right? Like showing up to the gym, like taking a shower, like showing up for my clients, showing up for my family. And then on top of this, like type one is this, you know, it, I kind of compare it to just kind of, a lot of my friends have babies right now and they talk about like being up in the middle of the night and tending to their babies. And, and I can't compare because I'm not a mother yet, but it's very interesting because a lot of the, the words that they use and the feelings that they have about having this newborn is really, it really parallels type one diabetes management very closely where it's just like, sometimes you have sleepless nights, you know, sometimes you're up at two o'clock in the morning four o'clock in the morning, or, I mean, it depends. You just don't know. And sometimes you can get through the night just fine, but it, it's because of these things and because they kind of perpetually like layer up and well, I don't know if this is relatable to you. 
it's easy to take on more because our type one diabetes management does kind of become the norm. Like we don't have an option to take a break really. It's easy to kind of not really take a step back and realize like, man, I've done a lot this week for my my diabetes. So I probably just need to like chill and give myself space to just like ground myself to recover, just take a deep breath versus just kind of like go, go, go. And it's hard to do that in the world that we live in, right? Like you said, Nicole, like so many people have side hustles. We we have our families that we're tending to. We have our friends that we love and want to connect with, right? But like with type one, the burnout again for me is just like, I'm at capacity, I'm done but I can't be done. And I'm feeling kind of over it. Like I can't, I can't do anymore. I want to break, but there is no break type of thing. Yeah, exactly. So kind of the, the idea of burnout for me is something that happens with type ones naturally because type one doesn't go away. And I always found it kind of interesting, like the, the non-type one or the type none burnouts, it deals with just stopping doing something or doing something more or like not doing something that is hurting you unintentionally. Whereas with type one, you can't, we can't stop taking care of ourselves because if we did, we would die. That's kind of like the nuts and bolts of it. And so kind of hearing it from a different perspective is interesting to me, but in terms of just type one burnout, it is like Whitney was saying, uh, we have lives on top of type one. So like, we have and we have to take care of all of it we can't pick and choose which ones we do and i think it is difficult for type ones to acknowledge just how difficult type one management can be because if we did we would try to give ourselves breaks where we really can't so we kind of build this up in our head that we just have to keep on going yeah it's hard but like what's the alternative it doesn't matter if it's hard like we still have to do it well i have a i have a question about that so what have you guys seen in your own selves and whitney especially with your clients what have you seen be the, I don't want to say cure for that burnout, but I'm having, I'm having a hard time coming up with another word. So we'll, we'll go with cure for now. But what have you guys seen be some of your own personals and then with your clients, Whitney? For sure. I think generally it's, it has, again, like Walt said, it's, it's sad to, to speak out that once you have type one diabetes, you, you, are never granted or gifted a break, right? There are things, but there are things in our lives that we can be intentional about prioritizing in our day, whether that be quiet time in the morning or, again, just depending on the person and and what makes them feel alive and what energizes them and, and what grounds them is that has to be made a priority outside of just the, the obvious things like showing up for work and getting the kids to bed on time and, and feeding ourselves. Right. We tend to just kind of like put all of like so much focus on all of these like obvious things, but forgetting that ultimately it's really just coming down to just like quieting yourself and, and what that looks like. And, and it can be quite uncomfortable. Like I still, especially when you're busy and you have kind of like all this momentum from your day and, and it can be quite uncomfortable to like take a step back and like sit in the stillness, but you really need it. Like when you're burnt out and overstimulated and done, it's like your mind and your spirit need need a break, right? And and making sure that like it's just like what does your quiet time look like? What does you time look like? What does Nicole time look like? What does Walt time look like? And and that looks so different for everybody, right? Getting a sense for that person of just like 
again, like with the burnout, I feel like for me, like a word, I just kind of can feel like I'm like, just like floating all over the place. And I've been using the word grounded so much because like when I do things like go to the beach or even just like laying on my bed for a bit or like hopping in the shower, just like with the hot water, it's like, that's when I feel like I'm starting to settle down, like starting to settle down and feeling like I can take on my day. I can show up for myself. I can show up for others, but really just prioritizing those practical things that all of us seem to just so easily skip over and forget about the value in them. And I think it's just like this, this continued journey of just like making it a priority, knowing why it's a priority, because generally people don't reach out for help until they're just like, I'm done. Like help. Like I've, I've, <laughs> like I've gone so far. It's just like, okay, well it's just like, it's not going to be an overnight, but the work is really within you. And the work is really just going to be like this boundary creating and like really being, having like the self-awareness around like, okay, maybe I do need to skip plans with dinner with my friends, even though they, they spark so much joy for me. Like if I do this, I know I'm not going to be able to show up for my day or my husband or myself tomorrow. Right. And for me, I'm an Enneagram too. So I'm like a helper and I love saying yes and like doing things for others. Like it literally does like make me so happy. Like it's like inbred in me to do things for others, but it's also like something with, with my type one, it's like, I forget like, oh man, like last night was hell and I didn't get any sleep and I'm still over committing myself and doing all of these things for these other people and like forgetting about me. And then I wonder like on Monday or Wednesday or whatever, it's like, oh, like I need a, I need to check on myself. I need to retreat a bit and center myself. Mm. Yeah. Uh, self-care for people with uh, chronic illness, but you know, type one as well is very different. So like we care for ourselves all the time, like caring, like managing your type one is taking care of yourself. So I think kind of separating that from in a positive way or putting a positive spit on that can be difficult for me. At least I feel like it was whenever I heard like the topic of self care is like, I'm doing that every day. Like, you know, I'm good. Like I don't need to do it anymore, but really that's not the same. Like managing your chronic illness is not the same as taking a break and allowing yourself to feel the feelings that that chronic illness can bring out in you. For me, I think for the longest time, I think kind of like how Whitney was saying, my strategy was finding the things that make managing your type one easier to do or make it. So like for me, it was cycling. Like I, I do long distance cycling. So being healthy and you know not having a super high blood sugar is helpful during a cycling, like during a long, like 50 mile bike ride. And so like finding the reasons why you want to like take care of yourself and just kind of figuring out those throughout your life, like it, uh, they'll definitely change. And just finding the reasons why, like, you know, uh, making sure you don't go to bed at 200 because, you know, I've done that so many times where I just like my blood sugar is 200. Like I'm fed up with having to take care of this. Like, you know, fuck you. I don't care. I'm just going to go to bed. Like I'll deal with it tomorrow. I'm done. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) but type one doesn't work that way. It's always there. And so now I think my kind of strategy is just kind of like rolling, trying to be as adaptive as possible. So like looking at the numbers and seeing them for what they are, just the number. That's where my sugar is at now. These are the things I can do about it. Um, It doesn't always work, especially when my blood sugar is high because it gets me very irritated, very fast, and it's very uncomfortable. It hurts a lot. So it's hard to be in that kind of like rational mindset during those times. But again, it's like understanding that these things will happen. And again, this is forever. So like, it's not going away anytime soon. I don't think at least this is a lifelong condition with no cures. So like being able to kind of just accept these things as they happen and understanding that they will happen again is kind of like how I've been able to deal with it, I think. And just knowing that these 
that it's okay. It doesn't mean it doesn't, it's not a, I guess, a judgment on me. It's just kind of like where I'm at at that moment. So learning to accept that and, and I guess like developing the tools that make those situations last uh, less time or take up less time of my day and making like, you know, better eating choices and just like knowing what I do now can affect my day later and kind of like planning around that and just being better about adapting to the punches and just understanding that they will happen and you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I think it, like what you're saying, well, it's really just more of like a proactive, holistic approach to type one, right? When you go to your endo, they're, they're hyper-focused on, you know, adjusting your insulin and what you're eating, you know, which again is, is the heart of type one. We, we must look at, look at those things, but the other things like riding, it's like that, you know, intertwines just as equally into your, your blood sugar management as, you know, hyper-focusing on your insulin, right? It's just like, it really supports you. It supports your mind. It supports your blood sugars, your insulin sensitivity. It's just like all of these things. And sometimes I think people forget really how we can give space for the things that we truly love a lot of the times and they could meant whether it's like physically like riding or mentally like decreasing our stress like it can really impact like our blood sugar control and how we our outlook around the disease wow yeah whitney do you have did you have any questions for nicole in terms of like life coaching my only question and i think nicole you kind of already answered it was just kind of the the why right like mm-hmm. the why of you know stepping in into coaching because i feel like it's generally like birthed from a place of just like need right for us like it was missing like for for the type one community it's just like we can't depend on just those those care people right like we need them but you know like Walt and we've shared there's just like so many aspects of our lives that this disease carries into so I guess just kind of wondering a bit more about what inspired your your journey but I guess you kind of answered it already unless you have any other like specific uh story mm-hmm. that just kind of affirmed like where you're at and like where you're going and and what you love most even about just like coaching women and seeing them change mm-hmm. and like change their mindset and stuff like that because I think it's important mm-hmm. to acknowledge the wins that you've been able to see and experience with your clients because that's what inspires you to keep pressing as uh, as a coach because it takes a lot it does Oh man, I I have two parts to this question. One's a a story from a while ago, and one's a now story. Um, but I'll start with the now story because it's really cool. So one of my clients came to me about a month and maybe some change ago, and I mean, on our first call, she was already tears, mm-hmm. and she was just, "I'm so unhappy with my life. I'm so unhappy with who I am." Um, I hate this, this, and this, and this, and just like, I know I need to change. I know I need to change. And we just got off a call a few days ago and she was crying from joy. And she was like, I, I can't believe who I am. I'm a huge, I'm a whole totally different person. She's has this amazing new job and that she got in the time of COVID. And she has more passion and love for her husband than she ever has before. And like, just like the whole, like she loves her body and just like everything that has changed 
just like hearing that story. I mean, girl, she got me crying on the like on our call, and I was like, "This is just this is why I do what I do mm-hmm. for these moments and seeing the light and the joy in someone's eye." I'm gonna tear up thinking about this, but just seeing the light and the joy in her eyes, just knowing that it was just numerous little tiny changes. It's like, yeah, there's like the big overwhelming changes, but they they affect all these little teeny tiny choices and decisions we make throughout the day, and that's where the real change comes in. And so just experiencing that was amazing. My second part, the several years ago, this was back when I was still a performer, but always knowing in my head that I loved mindset and I loved like strat, like I loved the whole personal development world. Yeah. And I was in a program for musical theater, having switched in from acting. And I was with a voice teacher my first year with the program. And she was saying things like, you're terrible at this. You should lose weight. I was 118 pounds at the time. You should go back to acting. You should quit. So on and so forth. Things that you can imagine would make a confidence go screw scrunch. And so trying not to let that get to me, even though it totally did, I moved to a different voice teacher. And through the shattering confidence, I was sat down and he told me, my new voice teacher told me that I'm so sorry, but you're not able to graduate from this program. And having that been my dream at the time, I was like, watch me. <laughs> like, And it was not an easy road, but it was all mindset. And it was all about taking control about what was going on six inches between my ears every time I walked into the practice rooms, every time I walked into a class, every time I walked into a voice lesson, every time I walked into the gym, so on and so forth. And That was the – and spoiler alert, I ended up graduating from that program cum laude. Thank you very much. (laughs) And so uh, just hearing – just knowing that it was – knowing that it was just my mindset that really made the whole change. Like, yeah, it was my hard work. It was my determination. But like I was saying earlier, I could have done that hard work and determination from that I'm not enough. Oh, God, I'm not going to be able to graduate mindset. And I I know for a fact I would not have graduated. So changing my mindset, changing my story – change the game. And that was the first time I really saw it in action and like personally. And from then on, I was just like, it was like one of those, like, everyone needs to know this stuff. <laughs> like one of those moments. And then I really became not, I wasn't like the coach, like getting paid for it, but like, I was like, I was a coach to my friends. Like I was the fix it person. And now I get paid for it. So <laughs> now I have a business for it. Now I like, it's so nice, but yeah. The re- that would be the reason why is just like seeing the transformation yeah. from here to here is just priceless, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Thank you. Nicole, did you have any other questions for Whitney or I? I guess the only other question I have, mainly this is for Whitney, but what are some of the biggest mental shifts or even like day-to-day changes, like we were just saying, that you see within your clients from the trans what is the transformation like for your clients that's my question okay i would say being able and i think walt touched on this too and it's been part of his own journey is just like being adaptable right mm-hmm. and because the numbers are nonstop and yeah. we're seeing them all day it it really i see it often it's just like even girls just saying like i'm hiding my phone in the drawer and i'm going to wait 15 minutes because we have to like with our blood sugars they can change a lot within you know a 20 minute 
span, mm-hmm. not a lot, but some enough to give us some time to figure out like, should I take action? Should I not take action? And I think sometimes um, it's easy and I still struggle with this. We're just like, if you see a number that's trending down, which means that you might need to eat something to prevent a low, or if you see a number that's trending high, meaning you might need to react in a way where you're, you're giving yourself insulin, Mm -hmm. but there's space required there because in that space, something could happen, meaning your blood sugars could normalize out. And sometimes they do, but it's hard to isolate whether or not they would have if we reacted to it, right? So I think it's really giving space and being like adaptable in that way. It's just like knowing that your blood sugars could go a little bit lower, a little bit higher. And obviously we have to keep alive, so we can't just like turn it off, but practicing that like kind of space giving to kind of build the intuition of your body and yourself, especially people that have had it for a couple of years. It's like their intuition is quite strong they just have to believe in themselves and just like, you know, again, give space for it and to watch it. Um, so like believing in themselves, I think is, is huge. Uh, I, I guide them and encourage them, but it's like, it's really just practicing that muscle of just like, and I'm sure you say this too, it's just like, everything's within us. It, it really is. It's just, it's really just the other person. We, we all need it. We need somebody to, to acknowledge that and to remind us, especially when we're in the burnout and especially when we're in this dark space, it's just like, even like for my business, it's just like when it is, it can be lonely and like you doing this podcast wall and like Nicole in your journey, it's just like, sometimes you can feel a bit, bit isolated when you're nurturing something and doing something all by yourself. And type one diabetes can be very isolating if you're not in a community. Mm-hmm. And I think the support is the biggest thing. It's like, we can go into all the the nitty gritty of, you know, blood sugar management and, and me kind of like strategizing with, with my clients. But I think it's really just like having a, a space to share with yeah. someone that like truly gets it is like, that's where it's just like this, the heaviness lightens. Is that a word? The heaviness lightens. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm still always stepping in. <laughs> because you're talking to somebody and they get it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's just healing in that, just like sharing our stories and, and having somebody that's just like, they're still in the driving seat. They're, they're having to manage it day in and day out. I'm just here as like this, this guide and this support system to be like, I got you. We're going to get through this together. And we'll just like literally one step at a time and just giving space to honor those, those little and big ones. So, yeah. Yeah. Ah, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Type one can be very isolating. And I think it's something that I sometimes forget because I'm kind of in it and in the community kind of actively uh, looking for people to talk to that live with it as well. And then like on Instagram, if you follow a lot of people, it can seem like it's just like everybody has type one. But there are people that live out in the middle of nowhere in the country and they're the only type one that they know within a five hour drive. Like they literally have to drive five hours before they can meet anybody else that has any inkling of what their life is like with type one. So, yeah, so I do like the idea of community. There are a bunch of like programs that people can come together, like, well, back in the times pre-COVID, they have meetup, people have meetups and like in bigger cities, it's a little easier to find um, because, you know, concentrations, like that's where more type ones will live. But there are, you know, especially nowadays, there's, you know, technology, we can have Zoom calls. And I think nowadays we're testing out just how amazing that can be, especially when we're forced to be isolated. 
but yeah, type one is very isolating and it can, I, I chose to be, to isolate myself, I think for a very long time for probably like the first 17 years of my type one, because I felt like, you know what, I don't have to deal with this. Like I, I'm taking care of it as best I can. Like, you know, I'm not dying. Like the doctors are telling me I'm doing fine. Like I don't need to do anything beyond that. And the first time I realized that like how wrong I was, was like when I was like first put into a group of everybody having type one and just having that kind of like ease of mind of not having to explain anything to anybody. And that was like, it was the first time I had realized that I was like putting this weight on myself that I just didn't need. And yeah, so like Whitney said, community can be very, very helpful. I mean, not everybody needs it. Not everybody wants it, but like, it's always, it's going to be there because there's definitely more than one type one out there, obviously. Everybody needs community. Exactly. Yeah. It looks different for everybody, right? Especially if you're more introverted and whatever, but like community is just like, I mean, I actually did a post on it a couple of days ago, but it's just like groups is where like in every aspect of my life, whether mm-hmm. it's like working out or my business, or it's just like the collective wisdom and just like part of my like a uh, business kind of evolution has been been more of a focus on groups and it has been because of my own personal experience with groups and um, there is obviously so much power and in- intimacy with being able to connect with someone one-on-one and you're able to like focus and dig a lot deeper but how refreshing groups can be and just kind of like again with the isolating feelings and and just and Walt you said how many years you went just kind of isolating yourself 17 yeah like there's so many people like Walt. And I had a call, um, I know we're probably getting at time, but I had a call like last week, I've been doing these like story time days on Fridays where I just like let people book like a free 30 minute call with me. And I just like, I show up after my workout and like sweaty, like it, it's not a client call. It's, there's no purpose in it other than really for me to connect with them and just to have space and just like, let's talk type one and your story, my diagnosis story. And one of the women, um, she's had it for 24 years and she said she couldn't remember the last time she shared her diagnosis story. And it's just like my heart dropped because I'm like, that's a lot to carry. You know, there's a lot and not saying that, that, that it's like bad or, or she's stuck, but it's like, our diagnosis is a lot and this disease is a lot and to hold that in and not feel like you can really, really truly share it with somebody that can actually like connect and relate to you. Like that's sad to me. And that's why like all the storytelling, I'm like all about it and just like sharing your story and having somebody that is willing to listen that can actually like relate to you is, is just really beautiful. I'll even piggyback off of that. There was a study done that you become the five people you hang out with the most. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, the people like communities that you're in, they will both raise or lower your standards of life Mm -hmm. depending on where you are. Mm -hmm. And I noticed when I first started diving into personal development fully, I was in a community. I was working at a restaurant. I was working at a restaurant. <laughs> I was working in the restaurant industry for like 12 years. And as you can imagine, the community, this, I'm going to say stereotypical because it's very, I'm going to put a big blanket statement over here, but mainly a lot of the people in that community are not how I live my life now. Mm-hmm. And I was wildly wanting to change my standard of living. Mm-hmm. And I had to leave that industry because I was like, I cannot keep lowering my standards based mm-hmm. off the people and the energy I'm being. I'm surrounding myself with, and that's my choice. I get to leave. And then I also took a really hardcore look at the five people I hung out with most. And I 
gently, one, not so gently, but I drifted away from those people and I filled those three spots with people who are Mm -hmm. raising my own standards. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like after that, it was like a upward like trajectory of like, boom, like incline like that. This is mainly speaking in the personal development world, but I'm I'm assuming it would be rather similar. But yeah, yeah, it I I think the most I think I heard a quote that was like one of the most important decisions you make is who you spend your time with. Mm-hmm. And I retweet it. I retweet it hard. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, I think that's a it's a good way to finalize our our thoughts and, and reflections of. Who am I mainly spending my time with? And I think it can carry over in the type one world. Mm-hmm. If you're mainly hanging out with, I mean, when I was first diagnosed, I joined this like Facebook group that was just like really intense and really like anti a lot of things I won't bring up. And like, that was like the only type one community I know. And I think it's, and you can kind of compare it to just like spending all of your time with one type, right? Of mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's like, of course, important to like, you know, have diversity, like in your friendships and based on like your goals and like what you need in in your life. But if like, I was using all of my, my knowledge and like energy in this one type one group, it's just like, I was shook if I'm like, I don't want anything. (laughs) I don't want anything to do with any of these types of groups. And like, I don't even know how to like eat now, you know, like it was so extreme. And I think it's, when you're diagnosed and maybe Walt, you can relate, but it's just like, you are kind of looking for like a, a fix, right. Of just like, what's going to make me be the best type one diabetic and, and make this disease not be as like horrible as it feels or as horrible as it is. Right. And you kind of like tend to latch on to these like trending diets and stuff like that, which we could spend so much time on talking in, in itself. But that's something that I also help my clients with. Yeah. It's just like the diet flexibility and truly finding the you diet. Like what serves mm-hmm. your blood sugars, what hurts you. And that takes time. It takes a lot of discipline and you have to be willing. It's like, are you ready? Because it's going <laughs> to take some time, right? And it, a lot of people aren't willing to, to go down that path. And a lot of people are, but they just need somebody to kind of help them navigate it because it's, it's a storm out there. Mm-hmm. You know? They need so, that outer accountability. That yeah. People do not know how badly they need outer accountability until they have yeah. it. I know, yeah. well, you and I both work with Delaney and having that outer accountability kicks my ass <laughs> and I love mm-hmm. it. And it's so, mm-hmm. and it's so perfect. And having that person to not only hold you accountable, but to help you course correct. Cause yeah. a lot of any kind of growth, whether that's in your diet, whether that's in your life, like there's going to be a lot of ups and there's going to be a lot of downs and yeah. knowing how to navigate those downs is vital because mm-hmm. we've been trained and our millions and millions of year old brain is, is, doesn't make this easier. Yeah. Avoid, it's anything that is thriving and it's just like survive. I want you to just yeah. survive Look for the saber tooth tiger always, yeah. but we're in low mode. A lot of people let low mode last mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. And having someone to course correct that low mode is, I I I view it as vital. Yeah, definitely. I could talk to you guys for hours. Truly, <laughs> <laughs> totally. I mean, it's it's a good a good thing to note because you are totally right. Being low and alone is very hard, and not to have somebody to rest in and, and check in with you on and remind you that like failing is 
is not something to be uh, scared of. Mm -hmm. And something that I use for my clients is like failing forward. We're failing forward. We're failing forward. Oh, I love that. You're trying. And like, that is just, well, you know, like just because we see a low blood sugar does not mean that that's a fail. That means like you learned something and we're, we're, we're moving forward. It looks a little different. And you get to eat Skittles. Yeah, exactly. You keep the skittles and you keep moving forward. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so I actually try to reach out to, I try to establish, like, d- dive into the diabetes online community 12 years in. And kind of like how Whitney said, like, I found a Facebook group. They seemed, you know, had type one in the titles, like, you know, why not? But like, mm-hmm. I got into it and the, all they did was complain about their type one. And I was at the point where I was like, yeah, but like, I want to do other things. Like, can like why it it turned me off basically um so like my first kind of like attempt at finding other people kind of like me i would call it like a failure basically or just like i just didn't find the right people which can was a little bit disconcerting and it spoke to kind of the idea of that like just because people have the same thing you do doesn't mean that they're going to be the perfect person to know like you know there's there's type one jerks out there too like you know we come in all shapes and sizes and personality types and stuff like that and then also going off of what Whitney said, it's very easy to get stuck in habits when you have type 1, especially a chronic condition. I did it in college a lot. Uh, so I was diagnosed when I was 12. The first five years, my parents pretty much took care of it. So like when I was in college, I was like the first time I was doing it on my own. And I was just like kind of like going through the motions, like what they taught, what the doctors were telling me to do and what I was I had known to do for like the past five years. And I wasn't getting the results I expected or wanted, I did, but I you know, refuse to change because like, this is just how I did it. Like I can't, I don't know what else to do. So there is very easy and like with a chronic illness and type one to kind of get stuck in those ruts and just like feel like you can't change when like something that I've started to learn is that your type one changes with you. When I was 12, my body, like biologically, mentally, physically, and your, and your type one's going to change with you. Like everything in the universe changes. It's not no, nothing escapes that. So being yeah. so like we were saying earlier, being able to adapt and kind of roll with the punches and understanding that you're changing and your type one's gonna change with you. So like just not being so like caught up on the numbers and like kind of putting your hat on that identity of always having that straight graph line, because that's not always gonna be there. And it doesn't really define you anyways. So it's not something that you really should be um grading yourself on, even though it's very easy to do. Uh, again, it's like a, it's a mindset thing, like just understanding that as a person with diabetes, your your body doesn't have the ability to regulate blood sugar. So it's going to be going up and down all the time for the rest of your life. It almost sounds like disassociating your identity and and worth like from the I, – I, I will say one of the biggest takeaways I've gotten from this conversation is I had no idea how much type 1s had there was that there were stigmas in numbers i had i thought that they were just numbers and that blew my mind to be honest and to, to disassociate your your worthiness from that number i can't even imagine how valuable valuable that would be for your mental health mm-hmm. you guys are teaching me new things left and right my god <laughs> yeah it can it can come from a lot of different places it can definitely come from you know inside ourselves but also like medical professionals you know, some mm-hmm. some people have doctors that are in some states. You can actually take 
a person's light driver's license away if they don't like your numbers in Pennsylvania they can definitely do that I've never had a doctor that like I've never had a doctor that even mentioned that but like I've heard of people their doctors have like threatened to take their driver's license away if they're a1c which is a, a three-month average of your blood sugars that you get three to four times a year and if they don't like it they can take away your driver's license they can like recommend the DMV take it away and so like there's very scary experiences out there that teach you like these numbers matter and if you don't get them to a certain point like you can't live the life that you want so there's lots of different people t like telling you different things and it's really hard to like find the ones that are supportive of you but also help you be the best person you can be yeah. oh god Ugh. yeah it's easy to latch on some of the questions that i get in my dms they seem like it's something it's interesting right like the more you hang out in the type 1 community and the more like diverse the conversations are the more diverse the questions are some of the questions are just interesting because so many people like have heard things and they latch on to this like well, what do you think about trying this like or, or is it safe you know and like you know simple things and we'll bring up the epsom salt thing well just because it's, it's something like for me i mean just because i am like this whimsical person that's like i'll do anything with type one pretty much other than like not take my insulin like for my mindset if someone were to ever like even entertain the thought of like epsom salts and like baths just so you know nicole it's like i guess the context of like the mix can plummet your blood sugars a bit and there there is I think some proof of that right but I guess what I'm saying is and and it's okay to acknowledge that and to like make a mental note okay like if I take an Epsom salt bath like maybe I should be a little cautious here mm -hmm. but I guess to make it like for me I just I struggle with it even being like a hindrance of mm -hmm. like a possible hindrance of like girl if you want to take an Epsom salt bath like you take your Epsom salt bath and it's going to be amazing. Like, should you watch your numbers and learn what it does for your body? Maybe your blood sugars may drop a bit, but it's just like, you're not going to, if you're living in fear of even like taking this bath, like, like we really won't know unless again, it just like, it just involves this like self-trust of like, I'm not going to latch on to a lot of these like fears that a lot of people won't do with their type one of just like learning to trust your body, trust yourself, trust the devices that we are able to so, so wonderfully lean into and watch and just learn what works for us and what doesn't. So, mm. yeah, yeah, for a little background, I don't know if you've ever read the Epsom salts warning label, uh, Nicole, but in the warning label, it says, uh, if you have diabetes, you should not use this product. Um, just because it drops your, sh your so, blood sugar? So that's the thing, like it can, like, and the thing is, so there, I looked this up and apparently the, the magnesium in Epsom salts will cause your capillaries to like expand. You know, that's what hot water does basically. And so when that happens, like your insulin is more uh, efficient and it can get to where it needs to go. And so that leads to a blood, uh, drop in blood sugar. But a hot, a hot shower can do the same thing. Maybe yeah. not as much, but like showers can lower your blood sugar. There's a lot of things that affect blood sugar. It's not just, you know, our medication, um, but Epsom salts is one of them. The guy at the Epsom salts company doesn't want to get sued by a diabetic that dies in a bathtub full of his salt. So like he just slaps the warning label on and that's it. But for people that are diagnosed like later in life or like parents that see this on their on the Epsom salts jug, um, they tell their kids like, don't ever use this stuff. You're this could kill you basically. <laughs> and again, yeah, it's like it's very. <laughs> yeah, a lot of fear yeah. around this thing. And it, yeah, it just just I, I yeah, there's there's fear around it. 
and fear around something that is, again, another variable that can cause some some movement in your blood sugars. But again, just like I've learned with my own journey of just like, and, and I think it's just personality type two of just like going with the flow. I'm like free spirit. I'm going to try this. Like I've done skydiving. I've, you know, whitewater rapid. I do like all of these things that, that some type one diabetics, to be honest, like they're just not comfortable doing those things because of the unknown. Right. And we have to like honor and give space for that because you never want to push somebody past where they are. But I guess for me, it's just like, I want to give people hope with this, this illness where it's just like, if you want to jump out of a plane, learn your body, the adrenaline's going to affect your blood sugars, Google the heck out of how adrenaline affects your blood sugars, prepare for that adventure. And like, you got this type thing, you know, versus just kind of retreating and, and being so fearful. And it is sad, right? But and I think just Again, it goes back to just like not having the support system and not having the information and this blend of the blend of the two and then just kind of feeling stuck and then saying staying a little bit in this safety bubble of like, I'm only going to do this diet. I'm only going to eat this amount of carbs. I'm never going to do that. It just hurts my heart because this disease, we can't get rid of it. But for the most part, we can live beautiful, adventurous lives and and still do all of the things that type one, non-type one diabetics can do. <laughs> yeah, there Sorry. is. <laughs> yeah, for me, I think it was growing up, it was just ha- the hassle of having to deal with my type one and doing things that I wanted to do. Um, so I would just mm-hmm. avoid doing them because like, yeah. if I don't, if I don't do them, I don't have to plan for my type one. I don't have to think about it. So like, you know, problem solved, sort of. But then it was when I started getting into cross-country cycling and I wanted to do that, but I realized that oh, I'm actually going to have to acknowledge this. Like I'm doing with a team. So like these people have to know what might happen because I don't want to ruin their time. I definitely don't want to ruin my time. And that was kind of the first time like I realized like, oh, I have to actually do something about this. And so I think kind of like I said earlier, like finding the things that make it worth going to all that trouble can be really helpful. And then also having a community that you can bounce these ideas off of beforehand, because there's a lot of crazy type ones out there that do all kinds of crazy stuff and they figured it out. So like you can like strategize with them. Of course, you're not going to react the exact same way they did. But like even for me, just knowing that somebody else with type one did it can uh, alleviate a whole lot of stress. And so, yeah, so like community is very helpful in that respect, just like being able to tackle this together and not just having to rely on yourself and your own limited experiences. Yeah, no, community is everything. But have you guys heard of mastermind, like mastermind groups? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I've kind of carried that concept in too, because, you know, masterminding your business is, is difficult and managing type one diabetes is, I'd say, probably even more difficult than a business. And it's like, why not carry the same concept? around like this collective wisdom, this borrowed motivation, this like coming together to really support each other and like problem solve and like share resources and stories. Like doing that with the girls inside of my membership group is like, I just sit back and like the girls stories and the things that they share. I'm like, everybody needs this. Like we have one girl that was just recently diagnosed, I think like six months ago. And she's really having a hard time with just eating out with her friends. Like how can I eat out and be mentally present and not be hyper-focused? Like I can't even, I feel like she's, she said like she can't even really focus on the conversation because she's like analyzing the menu and like trying to figure out what her dosing is. It's again, like our mind can be so split and scattered and, and it is something that you do just kind of have to like adapt to 
being your new norm, you know, but having the girls stories of like what they do for when they go out with their friends and stuff like that. It was just such like a, a beautiful thing to watch because she was just like so inspired and like encouraged to like go out with their girlfriends for dinner again and, and apply all of these like small, but huge little practices for the next time she, she goes out and stuff. Yeah. Uh, any other questions either of you have for each other or for myself? I think you guys have answered all of them and more. <laughs> I'm like buzzing with <laughs> new information. This is so helpful. Wow. Okay. Uh, do you guys have any final thoughts that you want to let everybody know before we go? I think we really summed it up. Like, I think, Whitney, what you were just saying, like, if you're struggling or if you're feeling lonely or any any low energy emotion, finding a group that can help bring out the best in you is – it is a game changer. And I think that if you're, if someone who's listening is experiencing that, just like reaching out to someone, I'll go ahead and like, if you want to talk to someone who will raise your energy, my DMs are freaking open. Like, please go ahead and sneak into them. Like, I'd love to talk to you and just, just know that you, you have abundant amount of resources. And well, this podcast is a phenomenal resource for people who are feeling like that. I just like, like, honestly, like kudos, man, this is like such a cool thing going into like, having known very little about this world other than an experience with a friend and now feeling like, I mean, I, by all means, I do not know everything. I'm going to say that, but like having more, more information on the mental side of it feels like a gift. So thank you guys. Yeah. Yeah. It was an honor, honor to share. And it's, it's always interesting to even just hear the questions that like non-type ones have, you know, cause you're like, Oh yeah. yeah. I do use that all the time and my friends probably don't understand me. (laughs) Don't fully understand. They probably hear me saying a lot of the same things like I'm high, I'm low, I'm this, whatever. So yeah, being able to articulate it and just kind of like reshare it in this space is definitely really fun. And I second Nicole. It's like if anyone's listening and just feeling low and just overwhelmed in their type one journey, like I'm here, Uh, I do free calls on Fridays to connect. And it's just story time calls to like legit hang out, I may be sweaty, but they're they're bomb calls where we just talk and and connect. And then if you're wanting like more intentional community, the in bloom membership that I have, which the link for that is in my own personal Instagram at happy pancreas. You can check that out. So and where can people find you, Nicole? So I am on Instagram at Life Coach Baker, and then you can also check out my podcast, which is Life Coach Baker Podcast. We talk about all things personal development for achievers. We dive into certain topics like habits, imposter syndrome, so on and so forth. And we have some really cool guests coming up. So check it out. All right. Thank you both so much. <laughs> Bye. Thank you so much. And that's the episode. Again, type one and life are hard. But the big idea that I hope you all come away from this episode with is the fact that you don't have to bear the heaviness of it all on your own. There are those out there who can help lighten that load. Some do it so well they even do it professionally. And while life for type one coaching per se may not be for everyone for a variety of reasons, things like community, support, accountability can come from a lot of different people in our lives. Just know that you're worthy of getting the help you need. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. If you'd like to support the show, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you listen to this from. Follow the Ask Me About My Type 1 Instagram page where you can get updates on episodes and check out the official Ask Me About My Type 1 merch store. 
You can also share on social media when you listen to the podcast or send your favorite episodes to friends, family, or just about anyone you think needs to learn a little bit more about what living with type 1 is actually like. All these things really do help the podcast get noticed and heard so that more type 1s and nuns like you can join in on the conversation. Till next week. Bye. <laughs>